The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to be looking into Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. So in this chapter, we're introduced to the lovable little house elf, Dobby. He's just so cute. I love him. Tubby. <laughs> Harry Potter. Such an honor it is. Who are you? Dobby, sir. Dobby the house elf. Not to be rude or anything, but this isn't a great time for me to have a house elf in my bedroom. As this chapter continues, however, we learn, as Harry does, that life as a house elf is very abusive and repressive, and it's horrible. What parallels can we draw to Harry? I think very much like Dobby, Harry too is often held in confinement. We see toward the end of this chapter too is held almost like in a cage. Like Dobby, Harry is only given kind of hand-me-down clothes. Like Dobby, Harry is emotionally and physically abused. And so really there's a lot of parallels here, both of them having been treated really awfully by their families. We learn, like you just mentioned, that house elves are bound to their families and Dobby's family sounds just horrible. Of course, we find out later who they are. But what are we seeing in Dobby's description of home life with this family? Well, we're seeing that they're really cruel, that they force Dobby to physically harm himself, to engage in a self-harm behavior by ironing his hands or hitting his head against the wall or hitting his head with a lamp. Dobby, Dobby, put the lamp down. Dobby says that his masters encourage this kind of self-punitive behavior. And so it sounds like his family is physically and emotionally abusive and probably shaming and encouraging him to harm himself, which is a very toxic, very dangerous environment. Yeah, poor Dobby. Dobby! Stop! Dobby! Please stop! Are you all right? Dobby had to punish himself, sir. Dobby almost spoke ill of his family, sir. Your family? The wizard family Dobby serves, sir. Dobby is bound to serve one family forever. 
If they ever knew Dobby was here. <laughs> but Dobby had to come. Dobby has to protect Harry Potter, to warn him. Harry Potter must not go back to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry this year. There is a plot. A plot to make most terrible things happen. What terrible things? Who's plotting them? <laughs> in all honesty, I think Dobby would have been sorted in Gryffindor. He's such a brave little guy. He knows full well that if anybody found out from his family that he was aiding Harry against the evil plot, he would be punished or maybe even destroyed. The thing is, he protects his family even though he knows these bad things about them. He beats himself up whenever he says anything bad against his family. He punishes himself, he slams his head against the wall. Even though his family isn't there to punish him, he still punishes himself. Can you explain what's going on here? I think for many individuals, especially children, but it happens in adults too, when they're in an abusive kind of family, they might be so used to being punished for making even a simple mistake that after a while this becomes a learned behavior and so they start taking the same kind of attitude toward themselves. It's not uncommon to see children and, you know, again, sometimes adults too, hitting themselves for making a mistake. I think that we're seeing Dobby struggling with almost like a Stockholm syndrome where he is identifying with the very individuals that are hurting him. And for a lot of individuals who are either in abusive relationships or have abusive families, they often are more likely to see faults within themselves than with their perpetrators. And the reason why is because it allows them to have almost like a sense of control. It makes the survivor of that kind of abuse think that they have some kind of control over the situation that makes them think that if only I do this better next time, if only I did a better job, then I wouldn't be punished. In some ways, it becomes almost like a defense mechanism where the individual is more likely to blame themselves than their perpetrator for the abuse because the understanding that the abuse is out of their control can be too intimidating and too overwhelming. And so I think Dobby is still in this state where he is more likely to blame himself than the family that he belongs to, that he is a part of, because I think that's kind of all he knows. He hasn't yet gotten to the point to where he realizes that he might have a choice and he is not yet to the point where he might realize that what he is going through isn't okay. If I got this right, Dobby defends his abusers because he is worried about not having control over his own abuse. I don't know exactly what the case is for Dobby in mm -hmm. this situation about what he's trying to do. But for a lot of survivors of abuse, the understanding that they have no control over the abusive situation is more frightening than the belief that they can somehow prevent the abuse from happening in the future. So many abuse survivors think, if only I do a better job in the future, then I can prevent myself from being hurt again. I guess where I was going with it is, is a lot of times like spousal abuse or something like that, the victim that is going through it will oftentimes 
be like, well, it was my fault. And, you know, they'll defend them. They were just, you know, having a bad day or whatever. And I guess I was trying to make the correlation there with Dobby. Yeah. And for a lot of survivors of domestic violence or inner partner violence, that is what we're seeing, that kind of quick protection of the perpetrator and self-blame. And presumably it's because at that moment in time for that survivor, it might be easier to say, oh, well, it was my fault. I said the wrong thing or I shouldn't have upset him or her. People of all genders can be survivors and people of all genders can be perpetrators. I think that in the moment it might feel safer for that individual. Unfortunately, this kind of belief makes it more difficult for them to leave. And so Dobby right now seems to be in the situation where he's not able to leave. It's no wonder that with his abusive background, he has a very difficult time receiving love and compassion from probably anybody, specifically from Harry, because when Harry gives him any kind of respect or asks him to sit down or even simple things like saying thank you, <laughs> you know, it really affects Dobby. Why don't you sit down? S sit down. S sit, sit down. Oh. 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 <laughs> Dobby, shush, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you or anything. Offend Dobby? Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, but never has he been asked to sit down by a wizard like an equal. Can you explain what's going on here? Sure. Psychologists Kristen Neff and Chris Germer often say love brings out that which is unlike itself. And I think that that's what we might be seeing here. When we first experience love or compassion or understanding, we might be reminded of all the times that we didn't experience that. We might be reminded of all the pain that we have gone through. And it might actually allow us to realize, wait a minute, those other people or those other times, I was not treated with kindness like this. And so for Dobby, it seems to be the first time that a wizard had asked him to sit down like an equal. It seems to be the first time that Dobby is being treated with respect and dignity that really he deserves, any living creatures deserve. I think that it allows him to see just how much he's never been treated with this amount of dignity. And I think that's probably what makes him cry in that moment. I think that if I had to guess, I would imagine he probably feels both gratitude and then also pain. It's so endearing that this little Dobby is actually there to try to protect Harry. And he thinks he's doing right by trying to make it so that Harry does not go back to Hogwarts. And he even takes letters away that were sent to him by his friends. Hang on. How do you know my friends haven't been writing to me? Harry Potter mustn't be angry with Dobby. Dobby hoped if Harry Potter thought his friends had forgotten him, Harry Potter might not want to go back to school, sir. Give me those. Now. No! Harry's loneliness for not receiving any word from his best friends are very evident in a few passages. What is it about friendship that can make us feel defeated or empowered? I think that as noble as Dobby's gestures were to try to protect Harry, I don't agree with his actions because he didn't provide Harry with a choice. Harry Potter must say he's not going back to school. I can't. Hogwarts is my home. Then Dobby must do it, sir. 
for Harry Potter's own good. I think that when we feel like we're alone in the world, then the world can seem like this giant monster, like very much like a David and Goliath kind of situation. And it might feel as if the odds are against us. It might feel like whether it's a really giant kind of an issue that we're facing, like being in an abusive family like Harry is, or even a relatively small issue, it might feel like we just don't have the ability to face it. But if we have loyal allies at our side, then we can face anything. Then we can face Voldemort. We can face the Dementors. We can face just about anything. And I think that Harry was feeling so defeated and deflated because he believed that his friends didn't care about him and that's why they didn't write to him the entire summer. But the understanding that they did write to him, I think that already gives him the glimmer of hope that they care, that there are people in his life that love him. Harry might not have received letters from his friends Ron and Hermione, but Harry does receive a letter from the Ministry of Magic for performing magic outside of school and being underage. What threats does this letter now represent to Harry, though? I think when Harry first returned from Hogwarts, it was the first time he saw his family since he left. That was around the time that Dudley was taken to have his pigtail surgically removed. And I think that because his family is so abusive, Harry's only weapon against them, his only protection against them was to lie to them, to tell them that he can curse them if they upset him. Or at least allude to the fact that he could yes. possibly or potentially. Yes. The letter now revealed that Harry is not allowed to do magic outside of school. And so it took away the only sense of protection that he had. And so as a result, Uncle Vernon was able to lock him up in his room in a cage, kind of like an animal in the zoo. Yeah, it was a prison cell, really. It was. And to take away all of his magical artifacts and to lock them away. So now Harry went from having at least some protections in place against the abuse that he was going through to having none. Like we were saying, it was a jailhouse. They padlocked his door from the outside. He had a small little slit in the bottom where they would hand him food, which was horrible food. And they also had bars on his window. And he was only allowed to step out of his room, I think, two or three times a day to use the restroom. Yeah, that sounds like prison to me. While Harry's waiting around, he has a horrible nightmare. Can you discuss the content and possible symbolism of this dream that he had? So in the dream, Harry sees himself as being in the zoo with Dobby saying, at least Harry Potter is safe in here. And I think that he would rather be at Hogwarts. At one point during the chapter, he even tells Dobby, I belong at Hogwarts. I belong in your world. See why I've got to go Ooh. back? I don't belong here. I belong in your world, a Hogwarts. It's the only place I've got friends. He sees that being in the cage, even if he's safe, is not worth it. That's not a life for him. He would rather take the risk and go to Hogwarts. And so I think it's a really powerful and really meaningful dream because I think he really feels like a prisoner in his own home. Well, at the end of the chapter, there is a little bit of hope, a ray of hope. Or should I say a beam of hope that goes throughout his room, a light. And he peers through the bars of his window and he sees a red hair freckled face just staring back at him. 
We're going to go ahead and end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a magical day.